Hello, friends, and welcome to the Wisdom for Life broadcast. This is Pastor Glenn with another episode that we hope will bless you. Amen. Okay. Hey, would you turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 28, verse 1? I'm going to be preaching the next few weeks on snakes. And, uh, oh, whatever. They're more afraid of you. Talking about snakes. This morning, we're going we're, we're to be talking about specifically bit, but not bitter. Acts 28, please. Bit, but not bitter. That's what we're covering today. And while you're turning there, I want to tell you a little story about this great, great book that I read some time ago uh, called The 16th Round, written by a guy by the name of the author, autobiography of Reuben Hurricane Carter. Denzel Washington portrayed this man in the movie The Hurricane in 1999. Man, these facts are just rolling this morning. Thank God for caffeine and coffee and, and the Holy Spirit. Here's what happened. True story, and I love true stories. True story, 1964, uh, Reuben Hurricane Carter was training for the title belt. And in the midst of his training, this was his one shot at what he had prepared his whole life for. In the midst of his training, he was accused of a triple homicide and sent to prison on three life sentences. He was wrongly accused. Now, how many of you know that might make me bitter? He shows up to prison in an Armani tailored suit, $5,000 watch, covered in bling, some of you don't know what bling is. It's jewelry. They put him in his prison cell, and he says, I want to see the warden. The warden comes by, and he says, I just want to put you on notice. I am going to serve the sentence here, but I will not serve it as a prisoner because I am not a prisoner. And he says, I want to give you my ABCs. You might want to write these down. It's great. It's in the book. He says, number one, I am a free man in my attitude. You can't take that from me. I've been wrongly accused. Yeah, 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 everybody says that in prison. But I want you to know, you can't take my attitude from me. How I choose to react to this is up to me. Number two, he says, B. He says, this bad thing is happening. It is not a good thing. It's a bad thing. But you're not going to take from me my beliefs. I choose my beliefs. And then see, it's simply this choice. I still have choice. So you see, because of my attitude and because of my beliefs and because I still have choices, I am a free man. While he spent that 19 years in prison. Yeah, it's getting heavy now, isn't it? Because you thought it was 19 days. 19 years. He studied philosophy. He studied law. In fact, later when he was acquitted of all three of the charges, he was awarded two doctorates in law. He studied his face-off until there were two separate trials that overturned and there was enough evidence to show that he never committed those murders. When he, when he had the last trial, the judge said, are you going to be seeking any type of money? to pay you back for what you went through. And he said, I'm not seeking anything back because nothing was ever taken from me in 
in the first place. What would you like an apology from the court? No, 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 you don't understand. You don't have to apologize because you never got anything in the first place. You are as free as you want to be. You are as free as you want to be. And if you'll let something that comes along and bites you make you bitter, then you are your own prisoner. And you've made your own prison cell. You must understand, for God to allow it, He has a greater plan. And it's bigger than you. And there is a collateral damage to you becoming bitter. Because there are people that will not get saved because they're watching you when you got bit. How will they react now? Where's the joy now? Where's their God now? You just got bit. What will you do now? Will you walk in freedom? We quote Romans 8.28, all things work together for the good. For those that love God and are called according to His purpose, but really are all things good? No. They all work together for the good. Is that our testimony? Can we say like Reuben, Hurricane Carter, can we say, I'm a free man, and devil, you never took anything from me in the first place? Is your profession your pain and your problem? Or is your profession the power of the promise? Let's look at the scripture here this morning. Acts 28.1 Once safely ashore, we found out that the island was called Malta. The islanders showed us unusual kindness. They built a fire and welcomed us all because it was raining and cold. Paul gathered a pile of brushwood, and as he put it on the fire, a viper, driven out by the what? The heat, fastened himself to his hand. Be careful of your attachments. (laughs) And just remember, the heat is what brings out the devil. The moment you decide to be on fire for God, Look at this. When the islanders saw the snake hanging from his hand, watch their first impression here. They said to each other, this man must be a murderer. For for though he escaped the sea, the goddess of justice has not allowed him to live. But Paul shook the snake off into the fire and suffered no ill effects. Can Can you refuse to die? I refuse to let this stop me and hinder me from doing what God wants me to do. I refuse it. I just want to preach the whole thing right now. i got to hold it back, hold it back, hold it back. And it says he suffered no ill effects. The people expected him to swell up or suddenly fall dead. But after waiting a long time and seeing nothing unusual happen to them, uh-oh, they changed their minds and said he was a god. Now we're too far to the other extreme. There was an estate nearby that belonged to Publius, the chief official of the island. He welcomed us into his home, showed us generous hospitality for three days. His father was sick in bed, suffering from a fever and dysentery. Paul went in to see him and after prayer, placed his hands on him and healed him. And when this happened, the rest of the sick on the island came and were cured. Uh, would, that, would, that, would that include spiritual lostness too? Can you imagine a whole entire island coming to Christ? But it took you to get bit first. 
They honored us in many ways, and when we were ready to sail, they furnished us with the supplies they needed. You know, I, I just wonder if, if, if you get double for your trouble, if you'll get everything you need to get to the next place, if you'll just serve God in a way that He calls you to in the place you're at. Come on, pray with me. Father, in the name of Jesus, help us to understand there are no snake-free environments. Father, there's a snake at church this morning. Father, there's a snake in my gifting. There's a snake, God, in every single relationship, the potential for one. But Father, you called us to grab it by the tail, not by the head. You'll crush the head. You'll use, God, even what seems to be negative for your glory if we'll remember our attitude, our beliefs, and our choices are all up to us, and they're all dependent on you. We give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. When you're going through something, in order to get through what you're going through, you're going to have to have discernment. You understand what I mean by discernment? You're going to have to have the ability to make the finer distinction of understanding if this is actually a bad thing or a good thing. And you cannot do that without perspective. You have to back up and see things from a God's eye point of view to understand whether this bad thing really means a bad thing forever or whether it's really just a good thing in disguise. Maybe it's just God using a diversion to get you to your destiny. Maybe it's just your God taking a setback and using it as a setup. You don't know. You don't know in the moment. All you can do is give thanks in all things, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's all you can do. I want you to see what happens here in the story because we don't get it all from the text. I'll give you a little bit of the background here. The story begins with Paul taken into captivity they are sailing now to a place where he'll be held in prison. And along the way, on this ship, there is a storm. Let me remind you that there will be storms. If you're not going through one right now, you will. I am not going to sell you the blue light special on walking with God. I won't give you cheap grace, greasy grace. I won't give you any kind of grace other than the kind that says, pick up your cross and follow. But the truth of the matter is, in the end, you'll be blessed more than you were in the beginning. But it doesn't mean there won't be storms along the way. And if you've got a problem with storms, you've got a problem with God. I'm just, I'm just telling you. And it's very easy to look at the storm and say, that's the serpent. But in the story, the serpent wasn't in the storm. What if I told you that who sent the storm was God? Oh, it's so quiet. You know, I don't know how to... How do I bake this this morning in my head, Pastor? You don't think it was a storm when Jesus Christ was dying on the cross? Into thy hands I commend my spirit. You don't think that was a dark moment? That was completely the will of God in that moment. It was. It was dark enough. Everybody ran but John. Peter, strapping man, huge guy, fisherman. He gone. Denying Christ to a little girl with some cuss words, I might add. It was so dark. Can this be God? This bad circumstance, there's no way that this could be God. But the serpent wasn't in the storm. What comes next? A shipwreck. A shipwreck. And we get into these patterns of life where we're shipwrecked and we want to permanently hold on to what we had in the past. 
somehow gripping on it. And right now I'm thinking of the movie Titanic. I don't know why. I'm just, you know, but we're just trying, we're just floating there in the water and we're trying to hold on to whatever we used to have. We've got that, um, we've got that sentimental value that we just can't let go of. And God says, you know, I may erect the ship. <laughs> You're struggling with this. I, you, you, I know, it's okay. The hamster in the wheel in your head's going, what do I do with this? The serpent wasn't in the shipwreck. The serpent wasn't in the storm. What about the 278 men that are on the island of Malta who need to be saved? What if God uses the storm and uses the shipwreck to get you to the place on Malta so that these people can know His grace and His power and His mercy. Luke is writing this. Luke is a historian. This is not the, um, the disciple Luke, who was a physician. This is someone who is saved by missionary work and follows around Paul and Silas and others and records the history. We call it the Acts of the Apostles because people that believe actually acted on what they believe. Acts. Unlike many churches today. Can I remind you that this is not a spectator sport? He gets to the island. We don't see anything in what Luke is writing about that this is the devil. We just assume that if something bad happens, that it must be God. We don't have a God's eye view. We don't have the perspective we have. And so if something bad happens, it, 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 it has to be bad. It has to be the bad guy for it to be bad. They get to the island, and I want you to see what happens next. They build a fire. And Paul comes, and he puts all these branches on the fire. Then we see the serpent. <laughs> you know when the devil shows up? When God shows up. You know when the devil really shows up and wants to bite you? It's when you get on fire for the Lord. We don't see the serpent until we get to the fire. And we say, oh God, give us Holy Ghost fire. Yeah, you're going to get bit. You, 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 you are a prime candidate now. You know, because before the fire... Hell didn't care about you. Before you got set on fire for the Lord and were willing to be used by God in a dark and dying, it says it was cold, it was raining, it was dark. They built a fire. And the devil says, okay, we got a problem now. I wonder if when you wake up in the morning, hell says, uh-oh, they're up. We got a problem now. Are you on hell's most wanted list? To get bit is a badge of honor. Paul was the only one that got bit. He was the only threat. Well, why me, Lord? Why me? Why me, God? Why? Why? God's saying it. The question isn't a why. The question is a who and a what. You got bit because you're who you're supposed to be in me and my spirit resides in you and greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. So start saying who. And the who is me. Who, who. We got an owl in here this morning. 
And what will God do with this? It'd be great. It'd change lives. Paul was the only threat. Do you see Christ in the chaos and the collisions of your life? Or are you so busy giving praise to the enemy for something bad that happened that the profession of your faith and power in the promises of God is never heard by the island of the world? Let me tell you who bites the hardest in your life. Your own mouth. There's no bite like biting yourself. Now let me... Let me take you there. You're at Olive Garden. You're enjoying your favorite pasta dish. You're, you're just, you're breadsticks. There we go, right there, altar call. Breadsticks. And you're so into it that you forget that there's a tongue inside of your mouth that's biting breadsticks, and instead of biting, breadstick you bite you and suddenly you bite the end of your tongue a little bit or the side of your mouth and then you sit there and the other person across from you goes what's wrong and two tears come right down your face you can't speak you can't talk because you just bit yourself now how dumb is that and you feel dumb in that moment because it's like, you know, I didn't have an awareness enough to know that I'm not supposed to bite me. I'm supposed to bite the breadstick. But I bit me. And it's uncanny that in the Scripture, in this text here, Paul gets bit and he says nothing. He doesn't go, and, and this is so childish of us, but I do it, we all do it. He doesn't go, Oh, it's Sunday morning and it's a church service and there's lots of people here that will care. Look at what happened to my hand. And you're like, is that tongues? I got the interpretation. What did what'd you just say? What? Oh, you got bit. Join the honking crowd. Everybody's been bit. Everybody. Does that mean God doesn't care? No, God cares. God loved, and so do we. Don't get me wrong. I, I, I'm not giving you license to be ambivalent or or apathetic to people's needs. That's not what I'm telling you. But at the same time, I think we place what the devil does up so high that we've got very, very little left to give God any glory for. Paul says nothing. Says nothing about what bit him. He doesn't, he doesn't, nothing. Bowl of shut it stew. Some of you as a pastor, I just want to go. The Bible says he gets bit. Get off of me. Now that will shake hell. Because hell knows that what will kill you is not the bite. What will kill you is the bitterness and you biting yourself with your... Hell knows it can't stop you. Hell knows what you forget. That the Bible has promise after promise after promise for every believer. You're going to do everything God has called you to do, period. Everything. And hell's going to rise up and try to get you not to believe that. 
And the way you won't believe it is the same way you do believe. Right here, confession. You'll bite yourself. Paul doesn't say, hey, guys, look what happened to me. Look at how it bit. Look at how much it hurt. Paul just shook it off into the fire. Now, <clears throat> that changed some things because they were all watching. You don't think that was part of God's plan for them to watch? And you're all being watched. See, you went out and did a little something like this. You went out and told everybody you were saved. Congratulations, now you got an audience. Y you do. You're just like me. I got an audience. I got to live my life in such a way as an example to you. But you do too. And there are some times when you're going to get bit and it hurts so bad, just let two tears just roll down those cheeks. But shush it. Shush it. And then take whatever has attached itself to you and shake it off into the fire. Get off of me. You don't belong on me. When I read about bitterness in the New Testament, a couple of things I want to teach on that. One is this, that um, it's connected with the word offense. And we know the Greek word for offense is scandalon. It's uh, the same word they use for a trap. Okay, so, so when a hunter would go out and want to, want to uh, catch its prey, it would set traps and it would put baits in the trap so that when the animal would come after the bait, you know, and there was some really good teaching that came out years ago about this, but bait of Satan. But as it would go after the bait, the trap would snap and catch the animal. Now, I don't often say things about politics, but I'm going to say one this morning. I want to thank God for the decision our president made because that was a trap. You, you, you understand? It, it don't, don't let somebody just come and poke the bear and think you got to go after every little thing that comes your way. Pick your hills to die on. You, you don't die on every hill. Hello? So you, you shot a drone down. Careful. Careful. But that doesn't mean we're going to go to war over every little thing you do. Okay, can, I, can I preach that this morning? Because, it, because if you don't get over that, somebody at work uh, uh, push your buttons every single day of your life. And then sit back and laugh as you react to it. You, you need to hold on to your ABCs, your attitude, your beliefs, and your choices. You're, not, you're free. Don't give up your freedom because somebody scripts you. What does scripting mean? Scripting is simply this. Somebody hands you a script by something they do. You get so offended that you begin reading that script, confessing that script, and now you're an actor in their play. I want you to be free. My Bible says, he that the Son is set free is free indeed. You're not an actor. You're not in their play. You don't go by their script. You go by the Word of God. So we're not reactive people. We're proactive people. Based upon God's Word, that's how we act and how we move, and that's how we do things. So just teaching a little bit here, sometimes what the devil will do is he will set a trap for you, and you'll get so wrapped up in the pain and so wrapped up in the problem that you'll forget all the power and the promises of God. You'll be saying, you'll be cursing the darkness because of the storm. You'll be cursing the darkness. What next? Oh, great. When it rains, it pours. Now we're shipwrecked. Oh, what next? Wow, I try to build a fire to warm myself and I get bit. Three in a row. Three's a charm. God must be against me. No, God was never more for Paul and that whole island getting saved. But all of these things fell like dominoes. 
so that the will of God could be performed so that those people's lives could be transformed. Give God some praise. Come on. So what the devil will do is he'll set a trap for you, and if you're not careful, you'll get offended, you'll get bitter because you got bit, and now your life will be a scratched, broken record. You'll just be playing that same thing over and over and over again. Every time somebody wants to hang out with you, hey man, let's go, let's go get breadsticks, you know, let's go get, let's go get some biscuits and gravy, whatever you're into, man. Let's go fishing. You're out there fishing and you're retelling that same stupid story that's 15 years old. And somebody that loves you very much goes, why did I invite them to go fishing? Hey. And you're going, hey man, it's just like it happened yesterday. You're in a trap. You're caught in a trap and the bait is a fence. Let me show you another way it works because it works this way in church too. Okay, I got to get up here to do it, show you. But, uh, okay, so you'll hear people say things like this. They'll say, man, I get outside of the church and people, people treat me better outside of the church than they treat me inside the church. Oh, you've heard it, but you've said it too. I'll give an altar call right now. You lay your tongue on the altar. I'll, I, okay, you're all just, okay, good. I got a great, I got a great congregation. Thank you, Jesus, that nobody's ever said that. I'll be the first to say I've said it and confess that that's a wrong confession. But let me tell you why you make it. Because you don't have a high expectation on anybody in the world. Let me come down. The expectation you have on people in the world that, and, and that are lost is way down here. But the expectation that you have on pastor... <laughs> Hmm. Oh, I mean, I needed scaffolding to get up there. There's no way I'll ever make it. And then when I let you down, the height of the expectation you have on me is the measure that you'll be offended. Man, if that don't set you free, how about your spouse? Same way. I thought you were going to love me. I thought you were gonna, you need to love me the way I want to be loved. And you put them up, they need a ladder to get up that high. And then when they let you down, the amount of distance that where they should be and where you've placed, they ain't Jesus. They'll never be Jesus. They're never going to be Jesus to you. But you put them up so high that the distance of the height and where they ought to be is now commensurate with your offense. And you got bit, so what? Shake it off. Shake it off. Shake it off. Ooh, ooh. You, get, you let me down. And then you get out in the world and they're already low. So if they do something low, you go, well, I expected that. Now listen, I'm not telling you to have low expectations on people. What I'm telling you is, is don't fall into the trap. It's the devil that comes and brings offense. It's the devil that sets that trap. It's not people. People don't wake up and listen, let me help you. People don't wake up in the morning and go, I just can't. I just, I'm going to spend the entirety of my day conniving ways to absolutely make you frustrated with me. Get over yourself. They wake up in the morning and they go, here comes life. What's going to happen to me today? They have no idea what they're doing is going to offend you. Oh, you did. You, you planned it. You planned it for three. No, they didn't. 
They were just human. Just human. And you had a godlike expectation on them. Get over that. <laughs> Paul shakes this snake off. Let me talk about snakes because <laughs> once you get bit, and once you get bitter, you get into that offense trap, that scandal on. You get into the scandalous situation and you're offended. Then what happens is, is inevitably you want to be alone. You don't want to do people anymore. Oh, listen, 31 years of ministry. I can always tell when somebody's bitter and offended. You don't see them for three Sundays in a row. Come on. Sometimes you're like, you know, you just, you just say too much. You know, I just don't want to, I want to make believe that doesn't happen. Yeah. And then we play a little game called come find me. Does anybody know that I'm not there? My phone ain't been ringing. That pastor hasn't even, does he even know I've not been there? Do those people even know I've not been around? Somebody better come track me down because I'm hurt. Hmm. And something isn't missing in church because you weren't there to minister to someone else? Have you ever considered the collateral damage of people not getting ministry at church or through what the church does because you're not there? Why do we call it a service when nobody's serving? Service is up to everyone. And if you don't show up, something's missing. And that ministry isn't available. To someone else, the Holy Spirit would have used you and called you to say that encouraging word or that prophetic word or that prayer or that friendship or that moment where you can invest in their life. Have you ever thought about the fact that because you got hurt, trapped in offense and offended, and now you're gone, somebody else may not serve the Lord now? I'm just flipping the pancake. So we don't want to do people because we got into some pain and some problems and you know we got bit, so now we're bitter. We want a snake-free environment. Now I'm going to give you a heavy revy, and I want you to get this. I want you to get this. There are no snake-free environments. How can I say that? There was a snake in the Garden of Eden. Huh. Well, pastor, there's got to be some utopia. There's got to be some, some there's got to be some place I can go to where where everything's figured out and there's no snaky people. Well, it didn't get much better than the Garden of Eden. And right there in the middle of that garden was old Slewfoot. Huh? Yeah. You ever thought about that way? It was no more perfect environment than that. And guess what was in it? A snake! I'll go a little bit farther. I want you to get it. Wait, wait, wait. Can I tell you why there was a snake there in the first place? Let me tell you, because that's a philosophical question. If God really wanted to make a perfect environment, why did he allow some, something imperfect to enter it? Because the plan all along was for his children to have dominion over the devil. All along, from the beginning. And here is this guy in heaven that says, I'm not going to worship or serve you. And God says, okay, you're not going to do it. My kids will. It's going to be a long plan and a long process. My son will, will redeem them and give his spirit so that they have power to. But at the end of 6,000 plus years, you'll see, devil, you're defeated and I'll get my kids to do it. <laughs> 
I'm going to get my babies to do it. <laughs> How you like me now? Yeah. So here's the garden. Here's a snake. They got to deal with that snake. They didn't, they didn't deal with it the way they were supposed to. But there are no snake-free environments. Let me go a little bit farther. Moses is called by God. Moses has a gifting. God wants to use his gifting. He doesn't have much because at this moment, he's no longer the prince of Egypt. You remember he committed murder. He's on the run, 40 years out in the desert, comes back, kneels before the burning bush, shoeless. God says, what you got? What you got? Moses says, well, I got a stick. God says, well, that's all that's in your hand. Give it to me. He gives it to the Lord. He throws it down, and it becomes a bird. It becomes a beautiful bird that just flies around. It's a dove. It's a Holy Ghost bird. It becomes a snake. There are no snake free. You don't get out of a snake free. Not till heaven. The point is, defeat it. The point is not, why is this happening? You, you were born into this is happening. A very fallen world. So, so, so God says, watch this. God says, grab it. Where? Not by the head. Don't, don't you know how this works? Now, I've seen videos. I've never tried this myself. Honest to God, I think I'd wet my pants if I came even near a snake and tried to get a hold of it. But you see these people that do it? They, they've got this stick they put out and they kind of get a hold of the head a little bit and they come, from the, they come from the back and they get a hold of the head. But God doesn't say, grab it by the head. Grab it by the tail. Pharaoh at the time, stay with me, I know it's getting deep, but stay with me. Pharaoh at the time is wearing a headdress and on his headdress is a serpent and God is saying, contextually, through Moses' experience, you grab the tail, I'll crush the head. You see the difference? In other words, God is saying, all the way back to the garden, the seed of the woman. <laughs> I feel like I ought to make a pizza with that noise, right? <laughs> pizza coming your way. There you go. You like pizza? Good. God is saying, listen, from the beginning, my plan slain from the foundations of the world, my son, the seed of the woman, is going to crush the serpent's head. And then we look over into Romans 16, 19, says, be excellent at what is good, be innocent of evil, and the God of peace will soon crush under your feet. <laughs> so God is saying, you get the tail, I'll get the head. The battle belongs to me. Don't worry about the overall plan. It's bigger than you, and, and it calls for me. But in the end, even if you get bit, just go ahead and grab the tail. Well, as soon as Moses grabbed the tail, it became what again? Every situation you are in can either supply you or be a snake to you. It's up to you, Reuben. Come on, Hurricane. You're ABCs. You don't take it on by the head. You got a God for that. But God will take 
what has given you pain, and he will empower you with it. If you will understand, listen, why am I, why am I born to two parents who are drug addicts? That's my pain. Why the abuse? Holy Spirit made that decision, by the way. Not the abuse, the parents. Why? Because God takes people through things, not to get them away from it, but to send them back to things, to touch the lives of other people. Nobody can stand in front of me and say, Pastor, you don't know. You've been born with a Bible in your hand. You don't, you don't have a clue. Yeah, I do. Yes, I do. And I know a God that led me out of it. So guess what? He's leading you out of it too. Hmm? Let's land the plane here. A little bit farther with the snake thing. Now, you think the snake thing is, is deep and bad today, man. Wait till next Sunday. But wait, there's more. Uh, so later, Moses takes the same staff and puts a bronze serpent. They're all bitten by vipers. And takes a bronze serpent, and the Lord instructs him, lift it up. Lift it up. It's a picture. It's, there's Christology here. There's typology in this. It's a picture of Christ on the cross. Why bronze? Bronze is the medal of judgment. When you go into the tabernacle or when you go into the temple, there is an area that is made of bronze just on the outside in the outer court. That's where judgment happens. And whatever is given up there as a sacrifice is cursed. So, so, so he tells Moses, take the same snake stick and lift it up and put this bronze serpent up at the top and then tell the people to look at what bit him right here. Tell the people to look at their wounds, right? Were they to look at their wounds? What were they to look at? Then Jesus later says, if I be lifted up from the earth, I'll draw all men unto me. Is what has your gaze? Is it, are you looking at the cross? A place where Jesus, now watch this, took all sin, but not just sin. He also took all disease, all pain, all suffering, all in himself at once at the cross. Now, if he took it, he can't untake it. <laughs> so are you going to look at the wound or are you going to look to the cross? Are you going to look up or are you going to look down? And God is simply saying this, I've already judged this. Bronze. I've already judged the serpent. <laughs> What's really cool is, is it's, it was actually before even the cross that God says this is coming. This is coming. It's almost like God is in a parade and he's saying, look, it's coming. And then you're going to get to heaven one day and you're going to see that same serpent. And he's going to come by you and you're going to go, you? It was you? You're a punk. I can't. The word says that. Scripture says that. You're the one that caused all these trouble, all this trouble. 
You. The way out is through. And then you're going back. <laughs> and here's what happens on the island. Shakes it off. The people that are looking at him now have their complete attention on him. And instead of, with his mouth, biting his ministry and his calling and his power and his anointing, he shuts his mouth, shakes it off into the fire where it belongs, and that's where the devil's going to, by the way. Did you know it was made for him? Unfortunately, people go. But that wasn't God's plan. The Bible says, for Satan and his angels, shakes it off back into the fire, and now the people say, wait a minute, wait a minute. This isn't the devil or the goddess of justice or, or anything else anymore. Maybe he's a god. You know what's really cool? Paul keeps his mouth shut. Because isn't it, isn't it funny how when things start reversing and going our way, where well, we're going to go, yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah, I clean up pretty good. I'm all that, a bag of chips and a 12-inch subway. Thank you. I'll be here all week. He's quiet. Then the tide turns. People start getting healed. And the island gets saved. Let me say uh, prophetically, this church has been bit. If you've been here long enough, you know. I wasn't here when it happened. But this church is going to be better. And this is not a bitter place. It's a better place. In the name of Jesus. Can you say amen? amen? Stand to your feet, would you please? Grab someone's hand next to you if you would. Just as a, a, a sign of unity. Just as a sign of unity. Amen. The people that are in this room, you will know for eternity. They're not disposable. You don't just get to walk away. The people that are in this room are your family. And, and, and listen, there are people in this room that have been bit. And, and, and we are here. We're like a salve. Every one of us. We can bring comfort and peace and encouragement and love. But I'm not going to direct that this morning. I'm just going to ask that you let the Holy Spirit direct you. Pray for the person that's on your right, your left, maybe in front of you or back. And then afterwards, before you ask, where are we going to eat? Be spirit-led and find someone and just say, hey, is there anything I can be praying for? Anything I can encourage you in? Any, is there any way that I can minister to you? The whole island was saved because somebody that was bit got better. It won't stop here. It'll go out into the community. Pray with me. Father, we pray for that person on the left and on the right. God, we have no idea how much pain, how deep the problem is, how broken they might be. But Father, this morning, we know there's love that can come from you through us into them.